Welcome to Near-Death Experience Podcast. I'm Chaz Hathaway. Lisa was born in Russia, and at age five, she is with her mother, um, playing at the ocean, and something happens, goes wrong. I think they were, as I understand, a wave washed over both of them, so the mother lost hold of her child. And again, this, this girl, Lisa, is five years old when, when she is lost out to sea really uh and uh and she um says well we'll just dive right in for a moment i felt the utter fear of death my body instinctively sensing this the this being a life-threatening situation i held my breath and struggled to find something to hold on to to save myself but my hands were only grasping water only water was everywhere i was helpless completely out of control When I realized there was no use to fight, nothing to get a grip on, I surrendered. I let go of my breathing, let go of trying to save myself, let go of the struggle for life, and allowed whatever was happening to me to happen. Next thing I remember is feeling the most profound and utter sense of peace I ever felt in my life. Suddenly I was feeling completely safe being enveloped and protected by something I can only describe as complete, unconditional love. This love was all around me. It was everywhere. But at the same time, it was also me, the one I was, my innermost essence. There was no longer any fear, no worries, no struggle for anything. I could have gone on being where I was and feeling the way I was forever. I felt as though I was finally being my true self. There were no limits or limitations whatsoever. I could go wherever I wanted, know whatever I wanted, do anything. The sense of freedom was inexplicable. I was also strangely aware that the things we ordinarily call time was now suspended and no longer existed. Then I was swept away by some unknown force and starting to move at an enormous speed, which felt a lot faster than the speed of light. I traveled, at, uh, I traveled an enormous distance, literally traveling beyond the world. I didn't have any sense of having a body, just of moving like a thunderbolt through a darkness toward a point of brilliant light in the distance. And as I came closer to this light, my only desire was to get to it, to get to where the light was. When I reached the point of light, I found myself in a world of light. Everything in this place was made of and radiated light. It was beautiful and radiant beyond expression. Heaven would be an adequate description, but I had no religious feeling and knew there was no such thing as a hell I knew, without knowing how or why I knew this, that this was the place where everyone eventually got when they died, regardless of who they were or what they had done during their lives. In the midst of the light stood a male figure. It was radiating this light and radiating this total, unearthly, complete, unconditional love. I was embraced by this being or enveloped in its light which felt like an embrace. Suddenly, I remembered this place. This was my home, the place that was really my home, and I wondered how I could have ever forgotten about it. 
I felt as though after a long, difficult journey in a foreign country, I finally had come home. And the being of light who was there before me was the being that knew me better than anyone else in creation. The being of light knew everything about me. It knew all I had ever done, said, or done, or all I had ever thought, said, or done, and it had shown me, and it showed me my whole life in a flash of an instant. I was shown all of the details of my life, the one I'd already lived, and all that was to come if I returned to earth. It was all there at the same time. All the details of all the cause and effect relations in my life. All that was good or negative, all of the effects my life on earth had had on others, and all of the effects the lives of others that had touched me had had on me. Every single thought, a feeling was there. and oh, Every single thought and feeling was there. Nothing was missing. And I could experience the feelings and thoughts of all the other people involved, involved myself. Almost become them. Which gave me pure experiential understanding of what brought other people pain or joy, the positive or negative experiences and effects of my own actions. The being was not judging me in any way during the life review. Even though I saw a lot of shortcomings in my life, it simply showed my life, showed my life the way it had been to me, loved me unconditionally, which gave me the strength I needed to see it all the way it all the way it was without any blinders and let me decide for myself what was positive negative and what i needed to do about it i don't remember any of the details of the events that were shown to me neither past nor future but i remember what was most important the being of life light showed me that all that was really important in life was the love that we felt, the loving acts we performed, the loving words we spoke, the loving thoughts we held. All that was made, said, done, or even thought without love was undone. It didn't matter. It simply did not, or it simply did no longer exist. Love was the was all that really was important. Only love was real. Everything we did lovingly was as it was supposed to be. It was okay. It was good. And the love we'd felt during our lives was all that was left when everything else, everything perishable in life, had vanished. Next, I remember finding myself in some other place, not knowing how I'd gotten there. The first thing of or the first being of light was gone, and I was surrounded by other beings or people who I felt as though I recognized. These beings were like family, old friends who'd been with me for an eternity. I can best describe them as my spiritual or soul family. Meeting these beings was like reuniting with the most important people in one's life after a long separation. There was an explosion of love and joy and seeing each other again between us all. The beings communicated with me and one another in some kind of telepathic way. We spoke without words directly from mind to mind or from spirit to spirit. 
None of us had any bodies. We were all made of some unknown substance, like a concentration of pure light. We were like dots of light in the light everywhere around us. Everybody knew what everybody else had in mind instantly. There was no possibility or need to hide anything from anybody. This kind of communication made misunderstandings impossible and made us close in a way almost impossible to describe. We were all individuals, but at the same time we were one, united by indestructible bonds of love forever, and also united with the light in the world of light around us, being part of it and part of each other's light. The love these beings of light exuded healed me, swept away all the darkness in me, erased all the pain and sorrow I'd accumulated during my life on earth. Earth and the life I'd lived on it felt very distant, was getting more distant all the time, almost like it had never really existed at all. I was in this place with my soul family for a period of time that felt like an eternity. No time in the usual sense existed here. Neither did the concept of space. But even so, there were more different places to go and spans of time that passed by. This is a contradiction in terms, but it's the only way I'm able to explain it in words. Spaceless space, timeless time. In this place, there was only pure being. Except being healed, I don't remember what we did, just that we were together and enjoyed it enormously. I remember this world of light as being huge, an enormous place, a place without limits or borders, neither individual or external. I remember all beings who were in this place had complete, total knowledge about all and everything. It was all pleasant, loving, beautiful beyond expression. Everything and being in this place was made of light, and everything was light, even though there were individual things and beings. The light is what I remember best. It was living, alive, a living light. That was everything and all, the essence of everything and all. Next thing I remember is suddenly finding myself back in the presence of the being of light I'd met first, and told I had to go back. I said, no way, I won't do it. This is about the last thing I wanted to do. Life on earth filled with darkness, pain, sorrow, limits and limitations was like a horrifying prison compared to this wonderful place. And I simply refused to go back. I was told that it wasn't my time, that I'd been granted a visit back home, but that I had to fulfill my purpose and do the work I myself had chosen to do on earth. The being of light reminded me that my purpose was to learn more about love, compassion, and how to express them on earth, and that my work was to help other people in any way I could. I had chosen this myself, and it told me that I would be back in the world of light in no time. Never forget, in reality, there is no time, only eternity itself, it said. Next thing I knew, I was back, feeling my body. The wave rushed me up on the shore again, 
and I was crawling up the shore, coughing up a lot of seawater. As a child, I forgot my near-death experience, and the memory of it didn't return until many years later. Even so, it has always been with me and given me strength to cope with difficulties in my own life and to help and support others. I'll stop there because she goes into more details, but uh, wow, wow. A few things I'd like to touch on. She talks about the purpose of life, and, and this is so interesting because we talk about life missions, you know, different things to accomplish. You know, uh, Betty Eadie speaks of one man as his entire purpose in coming to earth was to be a homeless man and to make eye contact with a lawyer who was going to have some influence and just to make that eye contact at just the right moment in his life and then he could move on to you know his eternal reward whatever he could die after that and others you know how their their life purpose would be to teach the things they learned when they went to the other side or or you know people's purpose to share music or or whatever it is that they're sent to do again but when you look at the root of all of those purposes all of them root back to love the love we feel the loving acts we perform the loving words we speak and the loving thoughts we have you know when it comes down to it it's love that's going to lead us to that mission when we're acting in love it's inevitable that we will fulfill our mission. Now, does that mean we are going to find out what it is, what that mission is? Well, maybe, maybe not. Most people don't find out for sure what it is. But, and even the few who do know that there are additional things that they can do. So, love, and then light. Light is a big thing here. It's interesting what she says about time. Time is a... a strange thing and she talks about uh, timeless time and spaceless space she's like i know that's a contradiction but i can't find another way to describe it and she talks about the place where she is being without limits or borders it's a huge enormous place no borders no limits and and how the individuals while they were all one they were also very individual here was again this concept of an eternity passing, you know, and, and then she's told later, you gotta go back, you gotta go back. And she's like, what? No, 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 no. <laughs> and this appears to be one of the situations where she's not fully given a choice. Now, whether that is entirely the case is unclear, but she clearly doesn't want to go back anyway. Even if she chooses to go back, she doesn't want to. And um, and then, actually, I think I will read a little bit of this uh, afterward, if you will, the things that go on. She says, During the whole of my professional life, I've been working with helping others in different ways. At the age of 18, I started working with elderly people, dying, senile, physically and emotionally ill people. I work with people with AIDS and the mentally ill. Later on, I worked in the mental care, health care and social care area among people with psychological, social, 
existential, emotional, and spiritual difficulties, and always felt my work as being deeply meaningful, even before remembering my near-death experience. Currently, I'm also working as a psychosynthesis therapist, psychosynthesis therapist, which is a branch of transpersonal psychology. That's an interesting point. She says that even, even in doing all those things, she didn't yet remember her near-death experience. This is a common theme. Some people remember it immediately and they're trying to shout it out to the doctors and family and stuff. Others remember it immediately and are too scared to share it with anybody because they're going to think people are going to think they're crazy. But many, many people just don't remember it when they first wake up. They're, just, boom, they're back in their body and it's just like that near death experience temporarily is gone. It's just gone. And they don't remember it for years and years, though they may have the after effects. They may be more intuitive. They may have a sense of the feelings of other people. They may get uh, premonitions of things. And, and so they get some of the after effects, but they don't remember the experience at all. And then later, something will happen that will click. And they'll go, oh, 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 I forgot about that, you know. And she was five years old at the time. Five years old is old enough to remember the experience of going into the water and even the near-death experience if it hadn't been temporarily shut out from her uh, psyche. But I think that was a very, very kind thing to do to wipe that memory for several years because uh, she talks about how this life compared to that life is like a horrid prison sentence, if you will. It's a, how does she say that? She talks about it being like a prison somewhere in here. And uh, anyway, yeah. And so, you know, and that place was so loving, so knowledge filling and, and so joyous that she absolutely didn't want to come back. So I think it's very merciful that when she did come back, the memory's immediately taken away for uh, uh, probably a couple of decades, if I'm not mistaken, which, which indicates to me that there are probably people out there who live out their entire lives not realizing that they've had a near-death experience. If you can go 20 years or whatever it is, I don't know. She had several career changes between, you know, from five years old till when she remembers. And, you know, assuming she started her career somewhere between 16 and 18 years old, um, then she has many, many years uh, before she remembers and... You know, some people, it's hearing about near-death experiences that wakes them up to their near-death experience. Others, it's seeing something or seeing somebody, you know, a photo of a relative or something. They're like, wait a minute, this person's familiar. Wait a minute, I've met them. How, ah, you know, I met them on the other side or whatever it is. It's, it kind of reminds me of the, the cliche version of amnesia and somebody gets, you know, like the majestic where the guy you know has this life he he's running away from his life so he drives off into the distance and the idea of driving until his 
gas runs out of his car and then just t picking up life from that point and just starting over again and in on that trip his car it has an accident goes off into a, a, a you know river and, and anyway he gets amnesia and he's so he finds himself in this town where he is actually mistaken for somebody else and he's all this time assuming he must be that person since he doesn't remember who he is or whatever and Anyway, interesting show, but the idea is that that amnesia, you know, that uh, cliche of amnesia holding until there's something that triggers it. In this case, he sees himself in a movie, which is, you know, if that's not going to trigger you, I don't know, don't know what will, but, but near-death experiences are so deeply intense that it must take a great deal of spiritual power to shut them out for a time. But if... But they being as powerful as they are, if they can be awakened, often they are awakened with such an intensity um, that they end up educating the person for the rest of their life. They, you know, in moments they remember, oh yeah, I forgot about this. You know, if you've ever lived away from home for a couple of years or something, I lived in Africa for two years, and there are things that still, you know, once in a while a smell in the air or a certain, you know, way the lights of the city, you know, look or or sometimes looking at the stars or different things, it'll just be like a little memory from, you know, Africa will come back. And it's not that I forgot about that thing necessarily, but it but it's that, you know, I haven't thought about that for years. And um and I wonder if that's kind of how it is with the near-death experience. They remember parts, but just like trying to remember two years, you don't remember it in this long consecutive order. And in fact, if I sat down right now and tried to write down everything that happened in those two years, I would find myself quite uh, frustrated because for one thing, I'd be like, I don't remember if this happened first or that happened first. I don't remember how this took place and sometimes this is one of the things that troubles people about near-death experiences they're like they can't even remember what order things happen in it how can you take that seriously well think about a two-year period of your life and try to get the whole story of that two years in the correct order just from memory you can't use any journals or calendars that you kept you have to do it all from memory and you're going to have challenge and think how much more a challenge if you're in a place that has no time. And so, you know, when they say, and then there was this that happened, and then this happened, and this happened, but I can't remember what order they happened in. Even in our time mortal sphere, that should make sense to us, that, that difficulty challenge with time. And, and this, like this lady says, like Lisa says, she's, she says it felt like an eternity passed. You know, the, I was just there living life and going on with my eternal existence before being informed, oh, you're not actually finished with your mortal life yet. you got to go back. I mean, wow. And she was only five, she'd only been five years old when she died initially. And let me read you the last paragraph that she gives because it kind of illustrates this point of this idea that, you know, Many people may have near-death experiences and not remember them. She says, 
The near-death experience also put the foundation to my lifelong interest in the paranormal, the mystical, the unusual, and the spiritual, which I've had for as long as I can remember, not knowing why for many years. It has made me explore unknown dimensions. It made me seek and find the answers to many questions, and to constantly strive to learn more about life, death, and everything in between, and to seek out ever new ways of helping others, which for me is the most meaningful things one can do in life. In the end, the near-death experience taught me as much about living as about dying, and it keeps on doing so. I read that last because I think that is kind of the clincher for me. Uh, the the near-death experience taught her as much about living as about dying. Because look, every one of you listeners out there, as far as I know, are living. You're mortal still. You're listen, listening with your mortal ears and you're understanding with your mortal minds. Studying these things can help you learn as much about living as about dying. Yes, it gives us great comfort at the idea of death, uh, you know, that we're all going to die. And it, yes, it can give us a complete lack of fear of death. And yes, it helps us to be able to live life to the fullest because we don't have to fear that inevitable end of our existence. But more than that, we can learn and think and see our lives from a new perspective, from the perspective of love in all its forms, in its complete form, in its in its absolute form. And some people may say, oh, it's all about love. Well, then I can live a very, you know, kind of a raunchy, uh, 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 immoral life, if you will. And and yes, you know, we, we hear from experiences that there's no judgment and so forth. But is that love just living you know, uh, having, you know, intimate relationships with just anybody and everybody who cares, I don't care, kind of who. <laughs> that's not love. That's not love. That's that's uh, the appetites of the flesh being allowed their, you know, unbridled um, fulfillment and so forth. That's not love at all. And yet romantic love in its purest form is one of the most beautiful things, one of the most beautiful kinds of love. And it is so loving as to be completely and utterly perfectly loyal. And though there is that tug between the lustful feelings of the flesh and that um, beautiful, romantic, um, loyal love that wants to give entirely to a person, there seems to be a, a bit of a tug of war sometimes for many people. I think it's clear when you really look at it, that true love is loyal. It's not going to lead to, you know, external relationships, it, you know, outside of marriage and so forth. But it will lead also to service and kindness and, you know, offering a smile, offering to hold the door, offering to just, you know, put a hand around the shoulder and say, hey, I'm here for you. Whatever it is, acts of love, 
and acts of love to anyone. This is a point that keeps coming up too, is acts of love to anyone, not just to those who can, you know, make it obvious that you did these acts of love and, and make you famous for your loving acts. I mean, I mean, she, this girl talks about, you know, working in, in psychological, social, existential um, difficulties, people with those, those conditions and so forth. And these are not people who are going to say, look at this amazing stuff that this individual has done. They're not, you know, shouting your alms to the world, if you will. But what they are doing is feeling, sensing, recognizing, and benefiting from your loving acts. And from all these experiences, we learn that every loving act that you do will have a loving effect on those to whom you do these acts. So with that, thank you, all of you, so much again for listening.